Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science, we'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, welcome back to the next episode of the Keto Naturopath. This is Dr. Goldcamp. Today I want to talk about really the importance of glutathione, how to best increase the benefits of glutathione. But before I get to that, I need to do a little background work to explain common problems that lead to glutathione deficiency and what to do about it. So everybody hears about glutathione. They've And this conversation basically came from the need to find a replacement for N-acetylcysteine, NAC, which is a supplement most people can get now that's been threatened within the last year, year and a half by the FDA to ban it and make it a prescription medication. That would not be good for most of us. And um, so there is this is the issue. So it's a big deal. You know, why are they thinking this? Uh, that's a good topic. I'm not going to go into that right now. It really doesn't benefit you other than they can do it. They might do it. They threatened it in a number of times. It's been around since the 60s. And actually in the 60s, it was considered as the medical antidote, the medical treatment for acetaminophen, otherwise known as Tylenol, toxicity or overdose. And the World Health Organization has N-acetylcysteine, NAC, listed as the only treatment for acetaminophen, um, Tylenol toxicity. So there you go. Those are two medical references and therefore it sort of has the grounds upon which you can say, you know, we've been referring to it as a medicine that you need to do. They don't refer to it like onions, take onions and that will help you. So given that sort of change in attitude and this periodic threatening by the FDA, you have to ask the bigger picture. Why would you consider doing it? What's the importance of glutathione? Would you miss it if they took it off? And you would. And uh, what is it connected to? So the bigger issue is really about glutathione. And the bigger issue is really about glutathione deficiency. And that issue connects to really the issue since the late 40s of why is it our population in the United States, I don't have data or all these other, I don't have global data, I don't have data on Australia, New Zealand, the UK, Switzerland, France, Germany, etc. But I imagine they're probably pretty similar, though uh, my impression is those other countries, especially European countries, are more open to helping the common person have access to certain supplements. So, 
All right, what about glutathione? Why do we need to know about it? Oh, I wanted to finish that thought. The thought was, since the since World War II, primarily the last 70 years, the general population percent that had a chronic disease, chronic disease or anything from, there's an actual list, but it could be Alzheimer's, it could be arthritis, it could be heart disease, it could be COPD, it could be a number of things. And I'll get a list them later. But the population went from about 7.5% in the early 50s to now over 60% in the United States as of 2020. Oh my gosh. So how do you explain that? That's never happened before. So some people can say, well, I doubt that that's a valid number because we didn't do statistics. You can't go back 100 years and saying, who's going around counting percentage of the population that had a chronic disease? Good point. But given that where we have a reasonable, honest, authentic expectation to say this is actually pretty, a pretty true, pretty straight up number. So let's accept it for a second instead of challenging it and saying, what does that represent? Something has gone very wrong in the last, since World War II. And the first thing to point to, since we've been talking about it in previous podcasts, is the seed oil, specifically omega-6, specifically the uh, linoleic acid. So the linoleic acid comes from your soy, your corn, your canola. Actually, it's less in canola now. Canola is kind of the poor man's Olive oil, canola has other issues, so I'll back that one out of that particular lineup. Um, but sunflower, safflower, for sure. We've talked about the studies, the MOGA studies that were done in the 70s that created kind of a global nutritional standard, one study in Australia and the other study in the United States, and how Christopher, Dr. Christopher uh, Ramsed went back and he looked at all the data and said, this, these conclusions were have nothing to do with all the data. And they were fraudulent. He didn't use that word, but they were fraudulent con conclusions or they were a true conclusion based on a small sliver of the data. So however you choose to look at the word fraudulent is up to you. Uh, I do think they're fraudulent. And, but I've always, you know, when you get into your own sort of detective work and going back and looking at these studies and seeing who's had reevaluated it and then all the studies and comments that have about that, you you tend to think that you're just in your own head too long and uh, there's not a number of other people that are agreed with you. And I go, I, I, I totally see this as complete fraud perpetrated on the people. And my guess is there's probably been more deaths caused by those nutritional guidelines or based on these two fraudulent studies in the early 70s that subsequent to those deaths and uh, directly injured people's health, that all those chronic diseases that didn't exist before, the population did not have it before, and then have died rather miserable deaths in their last 50 years or so of life, that if you added all that up, you'd probably come to, and I don't think anybody's done it, but it'll probably come out, more than all the mortality and morbidity from the first two world wars. It's huge. It's just a massive amount of people who have been impaired, who have been damaged, who have been crippled by their ailments, and they don't have a clue how. They go, gee, we're just eating this stuff, and it's not much different than my parents. Of course, they were poorer 
in former generations and couldn't afford all the fun food that we have. Well, the truth is it does come down to seed oils and the, and the ratio. And we'll be having a podcast with Dr. Artemis Sinopoulos. Uh, Simopolis, and um, talk about a wonderful name, eh? That we will go back to not only what's going on now and and, and link it with um, various genetic mutations, but the, the effect of this high concentration, unrelenting high concentration of omega-6 through the polyunsaturated fatty acids, the vegetable oils, has perpetrated onto the population. You know, we've been a terrible, terrible outcome on a willing population to be guinea pigs for roughly 70 years since World War II. And so we'll dig into the science, we'll dig into the history of it. She's one who, uh, she's 86 now, and I get into her background as a prequel to that particular interview. But what a person to talk about what was happening at those times, the kind of conversations that happened and didn't happen. In other words, they didn't want to have, just like they do now in many topics, they didn't want to have an oppositional opinion. It's like, no, that's we've already decided, go away now, go away, you're a poor loser. <laughs> you're a poor loser, we're going to kill everybody and just get on with it. Um, a, a, a bit extreme, I, I agree. But anyway, I it's not a comfortable topic to talk about in the sense that we, we've, been, we've been brutalized, we've been for lack of a better word, we've been raped. And uh, so now we're older and wiser. Now we can see, you know, what has happened and who did it, the smoking gun and all the data. And so it's pretty straightforward. Now there's a lot of financial money on the other side, both by um, universities that are still supporting those nutritional guidelines, like Minnesota and Harvard and a few others. Because they have a lot of money from the food industry. So it's all a cabal, unfortunately. But there's also a lot of truthfulness, as you'll hear when you talk to Dr. Simopoulos, that there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. And I had asked her specifically, I said, how is it with all that you've seen and all the work, she's been studying essential fatty acids since the 70s and genetic uh, interface of that, an evolutionary perspective of this. You know, how is it with all that she has seen can she stay so optimistic? And she and she burst in and said, because I'm Greek <laughs> and I grew up reading Aristotle. And Aristotle said how difficult it is to find the truth when you decide to pursue it. I thought, that's pretty profound. I often thought about calling that interview Fish Oil and Aristotle. But anyway, we'll get to all the pieces and how that is. But that's part of the background we're talking about. So why is it? Here it is. I'm laying it right on your plate. Why is it the rates for chronic disease went from 7.5% to 60% from post-World War II to 2020? And that's in 70 years. Oh my gosh. And of that 60%, 40% of the entire population have two chronic conditions. That's terrible. Okay, let's get into it. So... Uh, common problems that lead to glutathione deficiency and what to do about it. Testing and supplementation for glutathione deficiency. This is going to be a two-parter, by the way. I'm going to start this and then I'm going to get into a follow-up as the next podcast because it's a bigger topic. It's not a quaint little thing that you can listen to and go, I think I'll go do that today and improve my life. Nope, we got to go a little deeper. Okay, so conditions associated with glutathione deficiency are 
age-related macular degeneration. That's been getting given a lot of headlines in the last five years. And uh, some of the research, as we'll get into later, uh, go back to the last century, meaning the 1990s. Allergic rhinitis, cancer, ALS, which is amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, COPD, cystic fibrosis, Parkinson's, vocal cord polyps, anemia, frequent infections, seizures, so that's cerebral now, neurological, Alzheimer's, neurological, Parkinson's, neurological, ataxia, neurological, liver disease, that's where most of the glutathione is made and in your body at any one time, heart attack and stroke. And on from that. So ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, or if you want to, it can be called Woody Guthrie or Sam Shepard, if you like that actor and and uh, playwright, and I do. He died a couple of years ago, but he had ALS. So you can call it, it's, it's amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. It used to be called Lou Gehrig's disease, and it could have easily has been called Woody Guthrie disease. Oxidative stress is implicated in the in the cause of ALS. And we... In this particular study, they investigated the live motor cortex levels of ALS patients, and they found that the glutathione levels were 30% lower as compared to healthy subjects. So the idea was that uh, you have 30% less ability to protect your neurons, therefore your neurons in this part of the brain um, are going to be more vulnerable, and they were, and then it starts a progressive uh, atrophy of these particular of the function of these particular nerves. It sounds simple. It's not. Okay, rates of brain atrophy may depend on omega three fatty acids and B vitamins. And that was a study in twenty fifteen. And you go, why did I just say that? Did I just like change the topic for you? No, I didn't. Uh, a new study reveals that long chain fat, uh, omega three fatty acids, aka fish oils, aka DHA and EPA, right? may determine whether B vitamins can slow brain shrinking. Higher blood levels of omega-3 fatty acids had previously been linked to larger brain volume in older adults. So what did I just say here? What I said is people go, oh, I need all these vitamins. I'm going to take my multiple vitamins. I need to take my water-soluble B vitamins, C, and so on and so forth um, daily. Well, guess what? They're now saying if you don't have enough omega-3 fats, especially for your brain, your B vitamins aren't going to matter. So fat first. Well, if you've been listening to my other podcasts about protein-sparing modified fat, it's really protein first, but whole food sources of protein, which carry that kind of fat in with it. But uh, however you get your omega-3s up there, get them up there. And another study, new study investigates the impact of low vitamin B12, and high homocysteine levels in Parkinson's disease, another neurological, pretty kind of a cousin of ALS, slightly different. So Parkinson's disease is reduction in the level of total glutathione levels. One of the, one of the earliest biochemical changes in Parkinson's is a reduction in the level of total glutathione. And... And so it's the same situation, except this is in the substantia nigra, as opposed to the other part of the motor cortex. And so that's a very vulnerable area. So you think of all the people you know of Parkinson's. So glutathione, this came from in 2009, glutathione, a role, a role of its significance in Parkinson's disease. And I'm leading up to what's all this about. 
But wait, isn't there more to what causes Parkinson's? Haven't you heard something else? Yes, you have heard something else. Pesticides are also linked to Parkinson's. So Paraquat used on crops as they grow and Maneb, said the name of a, a pesticide, prevents post-harvest spoiling. So they spray all the corn or the wheat or the soy so it doesn't rot while it's in the silo to be shipped off to wherever. It is believed that pesticides contribute to dopamine, dopaminergic death. So they're killing the neurons that produce dopamine. And I'm going to sneeze. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcam again for a brief reminder of something I completely forget to do at the end of every episode. You've heard me talk long enough and many different episodes, but what I would love you to do, and many of you have already done this, I just want to reinforce this particular behavior, which is to send me your questions. Send me your questions and anything you have about keto. If there's something that I don't know, I will look it up. And if it's something that intrigues me, I will probably make an episode uh, a podcast about that particular topic. So what you need to do is to send me your questions at drgoldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. So that's D-R-G-O-L-D-K-A-M-P at K-E-T-O-N-A-T-U-R-O-P-A-T-H.com. Goldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. Feel free to join our Facebook group, which is also ketonaturopath.com. That's been growing lately. You also have to answer a questionnaire should you choose to join. And I don't ask for your email. I ask that you follow our terms. I try to avoid uh, advertising and uh, the obvious interruptions of just a good Facebook group. So hope to see you at one place or other. Please send me your questions and uh, look forward to talking to you and getting to know you. Take care.